kids ask great questions. You know, a 10-year-old boy stands up and says, you know, how did you feel when you got to the South Pole? You know, and I could have said, well, I, was, I was overwhelmed and exhausted. But I was honest and just stated, look, I was, I was hugely emotional. I was proud and thankful to be afforded this opportunity to even consider going, you know, where people you know, just can't even consider it. So that dream to become a reality and to communicate that to young people for me is, is one of the best things that I hadn't even considered by doing the expedition. That's SES employee Jez Draycott. He's back on the podcast to tell us what happened when he accepted the challenge of walking to the South Pole. I know, right? Not exactly your average daily stroll. Welcome to Satellite Stories. I'm your host, Christina Smith-Meyer. The journey that our Vice President of Solutions Engineering has been on is really quite outstanding, personally and professionally. What emerged as a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Antarctica, supporting a team of explorers live-streaming and using satellite technology in one of the remotest parts of the planet, has turned into a passion-fueled, life-fulfilling obsession. And that's because Jez ended up visiting the far corners of our planet, not once, but twice in 12 months. These trips and this job have changed Jez. He now sees the world differently and in turn is helping our wider SES family see life through a different lens as well. So we're delighted that upon his return to the UK after his most recent expedition, Jez was able to return to our podcast and share some of the stories from a wild and wonderful trek to the South Pole. I'm sure there won't be too many times I have to read that sentence aloud on our podcast. I began our conversation by asking Jez to remind us why he took on this challenge in the first place. It was really following a request from Robert Swan, OBE initially, back in March 2020. Um, and that was to really connect the Ocean Victory vessel, which was taking about 160 young Antarctic ambassadors down to the Antarctic Peninsula. Um, with SES, we could provide the capacity. And then we really enabled those live stories directly from the peninsula um, to be communicated globally by the participants. It was a huge success. Um, and actually, I remember being on the vessel and Robert uh, and Kyle and a couple of the guys, they, they took us to one side and we had a coffee. And they said, look, Jez, would you be interested in, in joining them for a South Pole expedition in January 23? And then... As you can imagine, the rest is the rest is history, really. Um, yeah, it was it was an amazing opportunity, which which I jumped at. As for specific sort of why for me personally, I, I love a challenge. There's there's no question about that, and you can't really get more challenging, I suppose, than the most inhospitable and, and coldest place on planet Earth. So it, it was really that motivation personally for me to accept that challenge. But then again, continue the work in highlighting the importance of Antarctica to wider audiences. It's something that, you know, when we did the Ocean Victory uh, project, you know, speaking to people about Antarctica, it's nice to continue that. And having the South Pole sort of ticked off would really give us some leverage for that. So it, it was a brilliant opportunity. And then sort of finally, SES continues to be 
super active in the ESG arena, right? We, we have our Horizon program um, and the initiative is built on, on four pillars. We've got sustainable space, we've got climate action, we've got diversity and inclusion, and then also critical human needs. But, but for SES, there's, there's other stories behind the project and where we can encompass, you know, things like teamwork and commitment and planning, ownership. All, all of these things are, are great in, you know, personal and professional lives. And it's been great to involve, you know, SES in the whole project. Well, I know I can speak um, not just for myself, but the entire SES team that we were very proud of you and excited for your um, for your challenge. But I mean, where do I begin? I mean, how how about the moment the plane started its descent to where you kicked off the walk to the South Pole? What were you thinking when you landed in this landscape like no other, I can imagine, just endless snow and ice? Exactly. Really, where, where to begin? <clears throat> Excuse me, and a good, a good place to start is, is really at the end of that five-hour flight on the Twin Otter from Union Glacier. That's where we dropped into 89 South. And the four of us in the team suddenly realised the gravity of the situation that we were about to encounter. Um, we were obviously dressed in full Antarctica kit. We had to refuel halfway. Um, and even just stepping off the plane to refuel, it was clear that when you, you look around yourself 360 degrees, there is nothing at all to see. There's no birds, there's no planes, there's no noise, there's absolutely nothing to see until the horizon, which is 25 miles away. And another thing that we didn't really realise was that you land at 9,000 feet. So we're 89 south, we're at 9,000 feet. We, we immediately stepped off the plane and felt, felt that altitude. Personally, I was really struggling for breath and had an instant headache. So we pulled the sleds off the plane and we just had a big white expanse of a snow desert. You know, there is... Antarctica is a desert, there is no precipitation there. So the plane was about to leave and as a typical sort of city boy, I took off my glove, I got my phone out, I wanted to film the plane leaving and that's where the trouble started because it was minus 26, the plane left, I had my glove off, the propellers went and I suddenly had a thousand tiny daggers of ice hitting me in the face and hitting my hand and instantly I was frozen. And the phone got dropped into the snow. I had to find my glove. It was very clear this harshest environment was going to be a real challenge. So I managed to calm myself down. We put the sleds together. We got our gloves. We all looked at each other. And then we had to start the walk. And it was a 120-kilometer 100 walk uh, to the South Pole. So we, we pointed the compass south uh, and began walking, really. Oh my gosh, there is, okay, there's no way you didn't encounter further challenges along the way, right? Can you tell me about them? There were a lot of challenges, as you can imagine, Christine. I mean, 10 days on the ice, you're going to encounter a lot of challenges there. But there were a few that really kind of stuck with me is, is the first one with my hands. I, I was so cold with my hands. And it was strange, while we were walking and generating heat with the blood flow, my hands were fine. But then we would walk for 50 minutes and then stop for 10 minutes just to have a rest and refuel and get some snacks in. But what I found is on that 10 minute stop, the blood would then recede from my, you know, my extremities, my feet and my hands. So I could then you know, eat my food. I could eat my frozen Mars bars and I could get my frozen drinks. However, when we started again, the blood wasn't going back to my hands quickly enough. And for about first 10 or 15 minutes after we'd stopped, my hands were really, really sore and I was, you know, really suffering from potential frostbite there. Another area was was the altitude. Again, I hadn't really considered the altitude at 9,000 feet and then still walking to 9,500 feet to the pole. 
your stamina is not what you expect. So Peter and Ashley and myself, we all suffered from the altitude sickness, really. It was uh, it was quite debilitating at times. And then some of the, the other challenges, I mean, for the first two days, Ashley, bless her, you know, she was struggling to pull the weight of her sled. So, you know, Peter, I, Peter and myself, and also Patchy, the guide, we distributed that weight and we pulled additional weight. But then you have two or three days of pulling that weight and it just becomes, you know, exhausting uh, over those days. And, and Ferdu's actually made the courageous decision um, to be medivaced out after three days purely because it was it was a really challenging environment. And then finally for me, it was, I'd say it was probably mentally tougher than I'd ever imagined. I mean, Robert had told me this and I kind of thought, well, I can I could probably tough it out, but you just can't. It's a real mental challenge and that feeling of loneliness sometimes or that feeling of getting lost in your own thoughts. And one of the strangest things that I found personally was when you when I led the group, Patchy would say, Jez, would you like to, to lead today? I'd say, sure, you know, I'd get on the front with my compass, I'd head south. But I didn't really like that because I couldn't see people. There was nothing for me to see. There was nothing to take my mind off my you know, my thoughts inside my head. And I would just get lost in, you know, obviously some happy thoughts, but then sad thoughts as well. I'd remember friends and family. And I would just get lost because there was nothing at all to take your mind off those thoughts. So it's very difficult to snap out sometimes if you're having a you know, a, a memory about, you know, lost relatives or friends. It was really tricky for me. So at the end, I would say to Patchy, look, is it okay if I can just go at the back and just follow? And then I can see, at least see some people. Well, that sounds really heavy. Um, I mean, would you do this again? In a heartbeat, Christina. I would go <laughs> back in a heartbeat. It's uh, it's one of those things that if you've, if you've done it once and you have that experience and you know you have the capability in you to do it, that it for me, it would be a shame not to go back. And there's something about the place as well that is is so lonely that when you get there, you're completely in the zone with one task to do. And there's something quite special and unique about that. In today's society, we don't really get that. There's lots of sort of distractions. Whereas when you're on the ice and you're walking for eight to 10 hours a day and you get into your routine with the tent, there's something you know really sort of engaging about that it's it's amazing it gives you a lot of perspective i bet yes wow okay well okay so you get to the south pole and i mean what do you do yeah i guess you you saw robert swan the team gave him a high five but then i mean aside from that what do you do when you get to the south pole you said there's absolutely nothing there so what do you do that's a that's a very good question christina so when when we got there, we we had very little time to spare. We only had half an hour to spare because the plane was was flying out. You know, it's, we had to go at six o'clock. We were there by five thirty. Unfortunately, I had frostbite in my fingers, so I had to wait even another twenty minutes to warm those up. So I had a, a grand total of ten minutes at the pole with Robert and Kyle and Barney and the rest of the team. So it wasn't as as I expected. However, it was as I expected. It was it was more than that. It was about the whole challenge. You know. When we go back to March 2020 and the planning, then this has been a huge sort of initiative. So I was really proud to kind of be there representing SES, my family and friends. It was it was amazing. So that was great. But then we were just back on the plane. And, and again, the sleds got packed. We flew the five hours back to Union Glacier. And then it's really kind of, you know, that's where it kind of finishes. You reflect then on your journey, you reflect then with friends, you reflect on the challenges, and then it's really back to Chile and then back to back to Manchester and, and, and the UK. 
Um, but it was, yeah, an amazing time. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you next. Just getting on that plane, heading home. I mean, it must take a while to really digest what you just went through, what you experienced. Um, it's been a few weeks now. Um, can you tell me what kind of life-changing lessons you've learned from this experience and then maybe why you would encourage someone to take on a challenge like yours? Yeah, so for me, the South Pole was always a dream, right? And everyone has dreams. And it was a real dream for me as a, as a young boy from North Wales. I always dreamt of adventures and, you know, I read the books, you know, Amundsen and Scott Shackleton, I read those. and It was always a dream. However, when you get that opportunity, that very small piece of opportunity, which happened to me in March 2020, speaking to Robert, you can potentially turn that, that dream into a goal. And that's where it kind of moves through that. So for me, grasping an opportunity with both hands and really going for it and being focused, you can make these dreams work. You know, they, they can become reality. And then life lessons, I'd, I'd probably say teamwork, because in, in that environment, you really have to rely on others to reach your goal. There was no way that, and I said before, that you, you can't really just tough it out in Antarctica. You've got to be smart. You've got to be regimented. You know, you've got to have a routine. You've got to look after yourself. And, and you have to rely on other people as well to, to help you with that and to, to keep you alive effectively. An example would be when my my hands got really, really cold, Patchy, Peter and Ashley, you know, we all stopped. We all got under the emergency blanket, we took my gloves off. We strapped them, I strapped my fingers up. We waited for that 20 minutes, half an hour. We got hot chocolate and it was it was that kind of teamwork and, you know, that, that encouragement that got us going again. So I would certainly say, yeah, teamwork was a big one. And then it puts you way out of your comfort zone, I would say. So for me, there's no safety net when you get to these things. And it, it wasn't something that we sort of said, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to raise funds for X or Y. It's about the awareness. It's about the bigger picture. So, you know, I, I'm not a polar explorer, but I had to learn new skills, you know, new people skills. And these skills that, you know, I, I acquired and the challenge, all of this encompassed together for me is why people should step out of their comfort zone and their safety net in in today's society mm, that's really inspiring jez um yeah i'm not sure i would take on your challenge but yeah we'll see maybe one day um but from my understanding this was robert swan's last trek to the south pole can you tell us what's next is ses planning on doing anything maybe with robert swan barney yeah that's a good one so as i say robert's been you know very very passionate and still continues to be about antarctica but when we arrived back at Union Glacier from the trek, you know, I walked past Rob's tent and he sort of beckoned me in. And we talked about an hour after the trek and um, all of his past experiences. And we, talk, we talked about how I felt and how he felt after the, after the challenge. And it is a place that changes as a person, and especially when you reflect on the importance of the continent. So I, I, I did sort of ask Rob about his, his next plans. And, and I like the I like the way he put it. He said that he'd be turning over a new page from Antarctica. It wasn't he was going to close the book on it, but he's just going to turn over a new page. And that was something I I sort of you know relished and sort of took on board. And it's you know he has so many fond memories of the of the place and the people, but he's going to focus on new projects now, and that's going to include you know supporting his son Barney with his his, his Regen project in Northern Australia, um, and then. There's a lot of other potential projects Rob's talking about, but I'm sure you know he'll be on a podcast soon to to discuss those. But the, the immediate future is really you know supporting his son in Australia. 
So then what's next for you, Jez? How are you going to continue to raise awareness about climate change and, and the protection of yeah, our planet? Exactly. And it, for me, it would be about awareness. So the first thing I'm sort of looking at, I would say, is a potential next challenge. You know, I, ideally, I would love to go back, as mentioned. And there's a walk, which is the 702-mile walk, which is from Hercules Inlet to the Pole. So, and it would be around a 50-day trek. Now, this is a massive, massive challenge. But again, if we can find you know, a company or companies willing to support me, with all the experience that we have on this event, or this initiative and this trek, the size of the next one, if we were to do the 702 miles from Hercules Inlet and the lessons that we could learn and show, then I think I would sign up tomorrow for that trek. So that's the first thing personally for me. And then, as we mentioned before, I think raising awareness is going to be key. So all of these trips, you know, I'm working very closely with SES and Colt Communications on several ESG initiatives. We're also working with the 2041 Foundation. But for me personally, it's it's the visiting schools and discussing the continent with young people. Even in the past, you know, two or three weeks since coming back from the trek, I think we visited about 10 schools, you know, in the local area. Um, and it's great. We, we, we schedule an hour with the kids. We show them the presentation. And then we, we spend about an hour and a half answering questions. And the kids... They're, they're so in, engaged and, you know, because this is something they've never even seen or considered before. You know, they, these kids ask great questions. You know, a 10-year-old boy stands up and says, you know, how did you feel when you got to the South Pole? You know, and I could have said, oh, I was I was overwhelmed and exhausted. But I was honest and just stated, look, I was, I was hugely emotional. I was proud and thankful to be mm. afforded this opportunity to even consider going, you know, where people you know just just can't even consider it so you know that that dream to become a reality and to communicate that to young people for me is 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 the is one of the best things that i hadn't even considered by doing the expedition wow jess it's it's really really wonderful um that you've done all this and i want to thank you again for sharing your unbelievable stories i am sure this won't be the last time you sit with us um on the podcast so thank you very much for joining us today thanks christina incredible to hear the journeys of some of my colleagues and I'm fascinated to see how this may influence the work that SES does too. After all, connecting the unconnected is one of our core values. Do check out our show notes for links to a blog documenting Jez's travels and for more about what we do, well, as always, ses.com. <laughs>